Northeast. I am not preaching tonight. Mr. Dwayne Jackson is going to bring our message. He's put a lot of time into this. Yeah, you can clap. That's fine. A lot of time, effort, and energy, and uh, as you guys know, last week we announced that he is now being our official youth pastor and leading the youth in this church, not only this church, but youth coming in from outside of this church, and so um, he's connecting with them. I know he's already shared this story on the Good Samaritan with them once in the past, and so had a dress rehearsal, per se, on his message tonight, and so uh, I've been able to have some conversations over coffee with him about it, and it's going to be a great night. So without further ado, uh, Mr. Dwayne Jackson. Hello, church family. How y'all doing? Oh, man, thanks for, for being here tonight. And uh, my, growing up, growing up, my mom used to always say, like, son, you're going to be a pastor. You're going to be a pastor. And I was like, mom, you tripping. You need to chill out with all that. I ain't trying to be one of those people, right? So, so we used to go to this church, and um, we went to this church. And um, it was this guy preaching, and he had a Bible, right? And he was just going up the people's head and just hitting people on the head, and they was falling. So I was eight years old at the time, right? And I was, like, freaked out, right? So I was sitting in the front, and when we, when he was just going around the church, and I kept backing up. I'm like, man, don't come to me. Don't come to me. Please don't come to me. And he ended up, get, he, he ended up getting face-to-face with me, and I'm looking at this guy, and I'm like scared, you know, and uh, he was like, son, you're going to be a pastor. I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> that is like crazy. I don't want to be no pastor. But it shows um, how God use, uses us, and we all got calling. So I really didn't think I would ever be in an arena like this. Like my dream was like to be in the NBA. But it's amazing how God used me from that time, and now I'm here, and it's, it's just amazing. So, so my, my family, my family and I, we, 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 I'm a local missionary here in Fort Myers, Florida, and uh, I absolutely love my job. Like, I get to hang around families and um, kids and hang around different cultures and ethnicities from all over southwest Florida. And I get to spread the gospel to them. One thing, one thing is I get to see and be around people and hear stories about amazing traditions. So this one family I know, they, every Thanksgiving and Christmas, they eat chitlins. Like, does anybody know what chitlins are? Pig intestines. Pig intestines. So I... I, I strong if you if you eat chitlins, <laughs> I strongly suggest you eat hot get some hot sauce, white rice, and cornbread to go with that meal. Cause it'll like set it off, like straight up, straight up. Now I know this other family that they do not put salt on their food. It's the weirdest thing, but I vibe with it when we hang out. But um like I like salt. I put salt on everything. But it's just a tradition that they have here currently in, in Southwest Florida. As a church right now, we're going through the Gospel of Luke. And um, one story that sticks out to me while going through the Gospel of Luke is the Good Samaritan. So if you got your Bible or mobile devices, can you please turn to Luke chapter 10? 
And um, I'm going to pray right quick because I don't want this to be about me. It's about God. And, uh, and so we can just set the tone right right now. Um, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for dying on the cross for us. Thank you for shaping and molding us every day. Give me the words to say and um, continue to push us to be more like you daily. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you're following, following along, along, I'm in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. I'm reading out a message in the, the NIV version. Starting with verse 25. Just then, a religion scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. Teacher, what do I need to get eternal life? Right away in my brain, I'm thinking, like, why is he testing Jesus? Like, what is his tone? Like, tone is so important. Like, is he using his hands? Because sometimes, like, I get kind of, like, weirded out when people use their hands, when we're just having a regular conversation. But, like, is he, is this religious guy, like, using his hands? This religious guy was a lawyer or probably a high official. And the thing is... He knew what type of people Jesus hung around with, drunkards, prostitutes, sinners. And he was just basically trying to trap Jesus. So Jesus answered, what's written in God's law? How do you read it? And this is so important because we can read the same thing or listen to the same music or, 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 or whatever, and we can come up with two totally different things about it. For example, earlier I talked about the families who one of them eat chitlins and the other one eats salt. Don't put salt on their food. And um, those families are from the same ethnicity and culture. Based on how I was raised, I would never guess that. Like, what comes to my mind, based on my, my biases and my, and, my, and my story growing up, like, how does that even, like, but we all, we all have different biases and things that we have. So, growing up, my, I don't know if y'all did, but I used to eat free lunch, because I was one of those kids, right? So, I had free lunch, but all my friends had bag lunch. So at bag lunch, they had pizzas, Skittles, M&Ms, like these, these fruit roll-ups, all these snacks. So I asked my mom, I say, Mom, why can't I have bag lunch? She's like, we don't got no money for that, right? <laughs> and um, from, that, from, from that story, from, from elementary school, I took this bias of like, okay, these people, these neighbors of mine are rich and I am poor. And that kind of shaped a lot of my, my personality and basically how, how, how I live my life. So we move on down to 27, verse 27. He said, Jesus said, that you love the Lord your God with all your passion in prayer, in muscle, in intelligence, and that you love your neighbor as well as you do yourself. Raise your hand if you've ever been around someone passionate. Okay, okay. It's, it's contagious, right? Right? It's so encouraging. Like, when I'm, when I'm coaching, when I'm coaching basketball, like, I might get down like this because I want kids to match my intensity. 
Like, I'm so passionate because some t- kids just walk around all sluggish and don't want to do nothing. But I'm like, come on, let's go. Let's go. Like, passionate people are so crazy. Like, like so, con- like, it's contagious. Like, I'm like, dang, should I? Like, it's amazing. So I also know this friend who has muscles. Like, y'all know some people got muscles? Like, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a, yo, I got a lot of muscles. But, but my friend, my friend once, I was like, man. Like, man, how did you get so big? And he looked at me, jacked up, you know, under armor, cut off sleeve, you know. And he was like, guess. I'm like, guess? Now, if you don't even know me, like, I, I dislike guessing. Like, I don't want to guess. Like, I just asked you a question. Like, why do I have to guess? So I said yoga. Because I do yoga. Maybe you do yoga. Like, maybe you scratch and do weird things like that. It was crazy, so he laughed. He's like, no, man, no. You know how some people, like, real muscle, they kind of get, like, real serious, get kind of awkward. Now, uh, uh, I ain't going to go that that. But so passionate, intelligent, mus- like, people with muscles, um, someone that loves their neighbor. Like, I've never, all five, no, I never met someone like that who had all five. Individually, I have. Jesus wanted him to know, like, this is like to have all five. This is almost impossible to have. Moving down, down to 28. Good answer, said Jesus. Do it and you will live. Looking for a loophole, he asked, and just how would you define neighbor? So looking for a loophole, he asked, and just how would you define neighbor? A neighbor. Like, who is my neighbor? This guy should be on his knees crying for mercy right now. But instead, he's trying to find the easy way out. Like, he's trying to justify his actions. If you're taking notes, I know people don't really take notes no more. But uh, if you're taking notes, please write this down. The quality of our information are tied to the quality of our questions. The quality of our information are tied to the quality of our questions. Questions people usually ask me, like, Dwayne, do you eat fried chicken? I'm like, no. (laughs) Like, um, who's better, MJ or LeBron? MJ, is that even a question? Like, come on. Like, also, like, some people ask me, like, Dwayne, like, um, why do we have a black history month? I'm like, because black people are important. <laughs> like, I don't know. Sure. Like, like, oh, so another question is like, Dwayne, like, how do you reach black people? I'm like, love them. Like, it's not that hard. Like, like, what are you talking about? But did you know Dr. Martin Luther King last speech, before he was assassinated, it was going to be about finances. He only went to Memphis to talk about fair wages and job safety for blacks. He was murdered in the midst of an economic protest. Martin Luther King, he asked a lot of questions that shaped his worldview. He challenged people. He stood up for what was right. If it wasn't for his actions and his questions, I wouldn't be able to stand up here and preach to y'all today. 
based on the laws that was back then. So it's so important we ask the right questions. We have to ask the right questions because they shape us daily. Moving down, verse 30. Jesus answered by telling a story. Now, we all love stories, right? Raise your hand if you love stories. Everybody loves stories? So my, my, my nana, my nana, she grew up in Fort Myers in the 40s and 50s. So her stories used to be, like, legit. Like, stories, look at that picture, it's so amazing. That's me in the back with the gray. I don't know what type of shoes I had on, but... There was something. I was tucked in. I think that was a cool thing back then. But, but anyway, my nana used to tell us stories. And she used to tell us stories that, like, at that age, like, I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. Like, we couldn't even go to this. We couldn't drink out the same water fountain. I'm like, nana, there ain't no way. That's not even true. Like, what are you talking about? Or we couldn't go to the same bathrooms as our neighbors. And she said, you know what? People used to humiliate me when I went to the grocery store. And we couldn't go in certain places in Fort Myers, like downtown at certain times of the day based on the laws that they had back then. And I'm like, I'm a kid. I'm like, what, what is that? But moving down. Y'all stay with me? Okay, 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 okay. There was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. This is a sketchy area, rough part of the road between the two cities. On the way, on the way, he was attacked by robbers. They, they took his clothes, they beat him up, and they went off leaving him half dead. They took his clothes, they beat him up, and they went off leaving him half dead. Now, when I read this text and I see that he was attacked by robbers, we all, as a, as a church family, we take our ethnic lenses to this text. And based on our, our, our stories, on our individual stories and cultures, and, and, and based on how we was raised, we look at this in a different type of way. Like, it means something something to me because I know people that have gotten robbed at gunpoint. I know kids that have gotten shot. So I'm like, I'm all in like, oh my goodness, like what in the world is going on? Helping youth in Fort Myers, I asked the question, like, where would this story most likely take place? Most, most of the kids, they said Dunbar. Which I understand because most of the youth that I hang around with are, are black. But also, Dunbar is the highest crime area right here in Fort Myers, Fort Myers, Florida, which most of these kids grew up in and continue to grow up in. Moving down. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road. But when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. Then a Levite religious man showed up. He also avoided the injured man. I'm going to read that again. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road. But when he saw him, he angered, he angled across the other side. So somebody naked, um, beat up. And he, so, so the priest angled 
around the other side. The Levite angled around the injured man. A priest was an ordained minister. The Levite probably was his assistant. Do y'all notice the posture of the religious leaders in this text? Do y'all see the body language as they walked around the man, the injured man? It's a high official in Fort Myers, Florida, who I recently met with. And when, when, when we, sit, we, we sat down at like a real nice restaurant, and um, it was really uncomfortable because he had a suit on. Of course, I'm in basketball shorts. I should have wore a polo, but I didn't. But so, so what happened was he was like, those people get over on the system. Those people keep having babies. You know what? Those people, all they do is get, get money off from the government, and they, all they do is get food stamps. So his posture triggered me, very uncomfortable. And I asked him, have you ever been in that neighborhood? Do you know families that live in that neighborhood? Have you ever walked in that neighborhood and talked to those people? Of course he said no. And then this is what I told him. If you're writing notes, write this down, please. We don't have to solve it if we don't see it. We don't have to solve it if we do not see it. If I was reading this, I'm going to assume the Levite and the priest, based on my culture and how I was raised, they was going to help the injured man. In Southwest Florida today, family, we need to see certain things. We need to see redlining. We need to see mass incarceration. We need to see orphans. We need to see widows. We need to see poverty. We need to see fatherless homes. We need to see segregated neighborhoods. We need to see teen pregnancy. It's some things that we need to see. So I take friends with me on mission trips to Fort Myers all the time in Dunbar, and as um, soon as they get there, they immediately are, like, shocked. I didn't even know this place even existed. And I'm like, serious, bro? Don't you go to church? You read the same Bible as me? Like, I didn't know this place existed. It's amazing how God can use a basketball and bring people from all over Southwest Florida and, 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 and get them over here and get them to start moving. And that has nothing to do with me. That all has to do with what God is doing through me. A kid recently asked me and told me, he said, Coach, my mom told me I can never drive on Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. I can never go over there. This was a very uncomfortable conversation. But a conversation that needed to be had. I told him, my neighbors live in that neighborhood. I grew up in that neighborhood. My silence would have hurt this kid. Also on MLK, it's a barbecue place. Right across the street from the Imaginarium, I went, I grew up going to that place. My dad um, used to take me to that place. It got the best barbecue in town, so you got to check it out. 
Got to shake it out. Y'all could tell I'm hungry, right? I forgot to eat this morning. So you think about this right now. It's two guys who walked past the injured man. But they was coming from Jerusalem, which they was most likely coming from church, praising the Lord. They probably just finished listening to Micah 6. Do just, love mercy, walk humbly with God. But they didn't want to help the injured man. (sighs) Moving down to the next verse. A Samaritan traveling down the road came on him. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him into his donkey, led him to an inn, and made him comfortable. Wait, 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 wait. So a priest didn't do nothing. A Levite, religious person, didn't do nothing. But this Samaritan did something. And Fort Myers kids got this term. They say, are you about that life or you're not about that life? It's, it's a weird thing, but like, this Samaritan was about that life, you know. <laughs> the Samaritans were half Jew, half Gentile. They are from a mixed race. They intermarried with Jews. They mixed religions together and created their own new religion. They picked and chose what parts of scriptures they wanted to use and removed the ones they didn't like. Whew, Samaritans. Jews hated Samaritans, and Samaritans hated Jews. But Jesus preached to the Samaritans. Jesus was for everybody. Moving on down. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. Now, we all know the ethnic tension that exists in southwest Florida. I continue to get people saying things about people who I dearly love, mostly my neighbors, that is really hurtful. When you read this text, you see the Samaritan didn't know this injured man resume, but he knew his ethnicity. He didn't know this injured man, but he knew his ethnicity. He knew his culture. He knew that could have cost him. But he didn't care. He loved him anyway. He was generous. He was kind. Let me run that back one more time. He didn't care. He loved him anyway. He was generous. He was kind. Verse 36. What do you think Which of the three became a neighbor to the man attacked by robbers? The one who treated him kindly, the religion scholar responded. Jesus said, go and do the same. 
So family, how do we love our neighbor? I crack my fingers. We have to look for light bulb moments. I always ask kids, like, are you being a light in dark places today? Are you being a light in your school today? Are you being a light in your community today? Are you being a light which amongst your family today? We have to look for light bulb moments. Our time, our talent, and our resources matter. Our time, our talent, and our resources matter. As we read, as we read the text, the, Samaritans, the Samaritan man sacrificed his time because he was on his way somewhere. Maybe watching a basketball game, maybe. But he was on his way somewhere. It wasn't no basketball, my bad. I don't know where that came from. But he was on his way somewhere. But he sacrificed his time to help the injured man. But also his resources. It's children and families in our neighborhood right now who need our time, who need our talents, who need our resources. I'm helping out with the youth, and I told Brian this, which is super cool. Like, I cannot put 25 kids in this van. Kids continue to call me because they want to come to church. They want to hear the good news. They want to, they want to see, be around something different. If you want to start being a light, we got places right here in this church where you can be a light. You can volunteer with the youth. You can hang out in the children's ministry or the other ministries that we have. So, I was on Facebook. Anybody use Facebook in here? I know you got rich in here. I know, I know, I know what that means. So I was on Facebook once and um, just scrolling like sometimes I do. We all get caught up in the scrolling. So somebody had posted a live. I didn't even know this lady, right? And um, it was another church. And I'm like, you know what? I don't got nothing to do. I'm going to go over there. So I get there. I pull up. And um, I kind of got, got pushed around. Like, but it was so cool because nobody knew who I was. But it's this old lady, Mommy of my nana. She was about like 60-something. She was sweating. She had like a rag over her head. She like, boy, you better go get that box. Get that box for me. Get that box for me. I'm like, why are you yelling at me? But I served. I served. And they was like, boy, can you come back next week? Baby, can you come back next week? I'm like, baby, watch it. <laughs> baby. But, and, 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 and I'm sharing that with y'all because that was a light bulb moment. I sacrificed time. Like, I didn't even know these people. But in that light bulb moment, I got the opportunity to meet a new pastor locally. 
I also got an opportunity to meet some, some, some elderly women that really needed my help. I don't know where the men was at, but there were just women there. But they was hit, lifting these big boxes, and we, they were serving these families. But through that light bulb moment, I also can call families in my neighborhood that I know who need food and tell them, hey, it's a church down the street on the other side of the tracks, and they give out food, but you need to get there if you want some groceries. If you're taking notes, feel free to write this down. Y'all still with me? Okay, cool. Issues have to become a person and not a policy. Whew. I felt that. Let me go back one time. Issues have to become a person and not a policy. When I first started Hoops on Mission, and... Um, I just resigned from my teaching job. I love teaching. But I go to this school. Now, I went to this school. This school is called Franklin Park Elementary. And my mom and dad went to that school. But when I, when I went to the school, I was like, ma'am, what's the needs of your school? And they said reading fluency. I'm like, God, you made me quit my job. You just want me to read the kids. How boring is that? But through reading fluency which was a light bulb moment, God started to show me things. I started to realize that, was, that there was kids in our neighborhood that were sleeping on the floor. There were kids in our neighborhood that were getting abused. There were kids in our neighborhood that weren't eating three meals a day. It was kids in our neighborhood of Southwest Florida that were, that were scared to get walk home from school because they didn't want to get shot. There was kids in our neighborhood that didn't have a father. And instantly, I realized this person, this third and fourth and fifth grader mattered. Two years ago, I found out something. I found out what I learned, I learned something. I learned what redlining was. Now, this kind of makes sense to me, but I'm going to just read what redlining is. And reading this, it made me feel real uncomfortable. And then I started to study and do more research on what do you mean? What is red? Like, what is that? I never heard about this in school. But this is what redlining was. Redlining denied our neighbors access to home loans. Working class blacks were financially unable to leave, creating a cycle of poverty in which they were confined to the lowest paying jobs due to discrimination in the job market while simultaneously being forced to pay for the most broken housing stock compared to their white counterparts. And when I read that, that breaks my heart. And I used to, I remember crying, and, and, and we, we in the front room at, at, at my house growing up, and we hear gunshots. And I'm like, Mom, I want to leave this neighborhood. Why do we live here? In Fort Myers, 
which redlining, and you know redlining, it produces crime. Because when you put people right here who are poor and don't have none of it, and they're not educated, and these are not the best schools, and this is the other side of the tracks, and things start happening, and they don't got no fathers, what happens is one out of three black kids end up in prison by the time they're 18. I recently took kids from our youth group to Defy. And um, if you look at this picture, if you count one, two, three, four, five, or even one, two, three, one, of the, one out of those three kids will end up in prison by the time they're 18, based on statistic. Person, not policy. Statistics say those kids on this picture right here who come into our church every week and praise the Lord, which I started, started getting them to worship a little bit, which is really cool. And um, they, those kids... Black kids will end up in prison by the time they're 18 based on statistics. Now, I love history. Anybody here love history? History is like my jam. Like, I, I'm all over history. The Vietnam War. Now, growing up, I never knew it was African-American and Hispanic soldiers. I just never knew. No teacher, no nobody, nobody ever told me that until I'm, I got to adulthood and I started to educate myself on different things. But I also learned that this, through redlining, I learned Vietnam War. When soldiers, soldiers, African-American and Hispanic soldiers made up the majority of these heroes and they could not purchase or rent homes in certain residential areas because of their race. Despite the greatest sacrifice they made. Heartbreaking. People matter more. If we continue to look at policy and not look at people, things are not going to change. We are not going to have those light bulb moments. Light bulb moments matter. We have to press in those uncomfortable situations. We have to press in as a church, as a family, as a neighbor. Like we have to press in those areas. Now my daughter, she plays basketball. Of course, her daddy played basketball, of course. And um, my daughter, every Saturday in Bonita, 10 o'clock, we take her to go play basketball. Now, it's the, it's the something when I was reading this text, it kind of it came out. My daughter helps everybody. Now, this is kind of weird because... Sometimes I don't really want you to help nobody. I just want you to shoot the ball and score, baby. Stop doing all that, all that. Come on. But she doesn't care how they smell. She doesn't care what ethnicity or culture or what jersey they're on. She even helps out the other team. Daddy, they need help, Daddy. I'm like, Mila, please shoot the ball. <laughs> so we can post it on Instagram, right? <laughs> yeah. So we can go back. But her posture resembles the Samaritan in this story. 
She doesn't, ma it doesn't matter. We have a goal. We have a goal. Mila, we have to score. We have to destroy this team. We have to. Like, we have to do that. I don't know if y'all competitive, but I'm really competitive. Uh, uh, all right. But culturally, I'm constantly saying, Mila, let them. Mila, it's not our problem, baby. Can you please just stop picking up little Leroy and Carter, please? We paid for this league, Mila, please. We have to score points. I didn't even care enough to even help that poor little boy or girl on the ground. But my posture in this story resembles the Levite and the priest. And it's so funny, like, I told Brian, like, this kind of, like, came out. I guess God kind of convicted me, like, you need to do more. Like, you, like I don't know what he was doing, but I kind of, it just kind of came out of nowhere. And I, it was, like, eye-opening for me. I'm like, dang, that's so true. I should help that boy or girl up. I shouldn't be so consumed with my daughter scoring a little bucket or scoring it. She's only four years old. Isn't life more? Isn't little Johnny? Maybe you can help him up or the injured, the injured kid, and maybe you can start a conversation with that family, and then you can get that family to come to your church, and then y'all can break bread together, and then all these things can happen, and maybe that, that family will end up getting baptized. Very eye-opening for me. In the 1960s, white Christians were afraid of what would happen to their reputations if they stood up and helped their black neighbors. So many did nothing. What people group are we afraid to help today? It's people that are not here right now in our church that they're supposed to be our neighbor, that we're supposed to be checking up on them, but we don't. There's people in our neighborhood that are broken, and instead of, of engaging in them, I already helped them out one time. Man, I ain't helping them out. And God is calling us to be a light in dark, in dark places, and we have to engage those people because they need us. What people group are we afraid to help today? I'd like to invite the band up right quick. In closing, I really want our church family to really think about this this week. The quality of our information are tied to the quality of our questions that we are asking.
Number two, we don't have to solve it if I don't see it. Pray about what God wants you to do. Because the Levite and the priest, they, if they, they, they seen the injured man, but they seen him and they was like, not my problem. And they was just coming back from church and worshiping. Number three, view our neighbors as people, not policy. People, not policy. People, not policy. So I wrote this poem, right? I like to write poems. And uh, basically, it's about black history. Since this is Black History Month, and most schools always call me in to speak on Black History Month, which is very uncomfortable, but my identity is Christ. And my, my daily prayer, just so y'all know this, um, Refuge Family, I, my, my daily prayer is that my Holy Spirit leads me daily and not my skin color. My Holy Spirit leads me daily and not my skin color. But I also experience things in my life that I know that when you experience those things, they hurt emotionally. And sometimes the only way that you really heal is you express those things. So I wrote this poem. And this poem is so legit because... One day, this lady in the store, she came up to me, and I had my, I had my, uh, I had my hoodie on. I had my hoodie on. It's still me, family. I had my hoodie on, and she said, you're a gangster. And I said, I'm not a gangster. Like, why do you think I'm a gangster? Just because I wear a hood on my head? But her biases and her individual stories and how she was raised shape her. But in those moments, I know God is shaping and molding me. And he's calling me to be light in dark places. And I told her, I'm not against it. I'm a child of God. So I wrote this poem. Can I share it with y'all? Cool, cool, cool. The KD, you know, when KD shoot free throws. <laughs> it's called Black History. What is Black History? What is my history? When we face our trauma, it loses its power. When I was called the N word, I felt like a coward, taught to fight with my hands. I wanted to pound his head, a Levite of a personality that left me for dead. What is black history? A kid with a God-sized vision, with a mom who cleaned churches for a living. A kid with a God-sized vision, with a mom who cleaned churches 
for a living. People usually walked around me. A history where porn remains silent. A history where porn remains silent. A history where a priest remained quiet. He saw my wounds, but he didn't move. I saw his eyes, but to my surprise, he was blind. I guess he was an Enneagram 9. What is black history? On a road between Jericho and Jerusalem, where the posture of religious people cooked me like a cup of noodles. Where a Samaritan bandaged my wounds. As he approached me, I died. It's no way this Oreo of a man will hear my cries. I was so wrong. Brian, I woke up and my face was swollen. As my mother laid on the kitchen floor, she asked God, Is all of this even worth it? Forced to see an image I can't unsee. My white neighbors asking for the facts while I'm, watch, I'm, while I'm waiting for my mom to come back. My experiences are getting the best of me. Some nights I can't breathe. Forced to go to counseling as I wrestle with my PTSD. I still pray for George Floyd's daughter. In some ways, she reminds me of my daughter, a beautiful soul where the posture of the religious leaders remain froze. Scared to speak publicly because of the fear of their church doors remaining closed. What is black history? Well, it's my history. Nobody wanted to support my ministry. Kicked out of a Christian school because a student had power over me. The silence of my neighbors still remains a mystery. Woe is me. I wonder if my skin color robbed me. It's not funny how people forget about my PTSD. Hey, Karen, can you please educate people that PTSD lasts more than a week? I would never be Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Please stop comparing me. Just because I'm a darker shade doesn't mean I, ever, I represent everyone that looks like me. Let me run that back. Just because I'm a darker shade doesn't mean I represent everyone that looks like me. If you stay silent, just remember the man who was robbed was me. Please stop walking around me. Thank you. I wanted to take this opportunity this week to have a time of communion together. We try to do it once a month, and, and I hate to say work it into our schedule, but yeah, work it into our schedule. But this is a meal we're supposed to have together as a church this meal is remembrance, and so uh, whoever's serving tonight, if you would pass out those emblems for us. And I don't know if you noticed, you know, Dwayne preached on the Good Samaritan, and, and we think about the characters in that story. And I don't know if you noticed, when, when he did his poem, did you catch who he related to most in the story? See, we, we hear that story our lives, and, you know, we're not the priest in the story. Or we're not the Levite, though we can learn from the priest and the Levite's mistakes. 
And then maybe we think, well, we're the Samaritan, or we're supposed to be the Samaritan, or we're supposed to emulate his actions. And that's certainly a good part of what we can learn from the story, that the Good Samaritan, and be like the Good Samaritan, and search for those, as Dwayne says, light bulb moments. But when Dwayne did his poem, he related to the Good Samaritan, or not the Good Samaritan, but to the, the man laying on the road, the one that was attacked by the thief. The one that was left, as the story said, half dead. The one who's there, and he's broken, and his situation looks hopeless unless someone came along and saved him. Someone needed to come along to save the man that was laying on the road who wasn't afraid to go into his sketchy neighborhood. And somebody needed to come along that he didn't owe anything. And someone needed to come along who, based on how we've treated him, probably should just have finished the guy off. And someone needed to come along that would not only risk their life to save us, but give his life. Jesus came walking down the road. And there we were, broken, beaten. And he doesn't angle away or try to go around us. He doesn't look the other way like the Levite does. He walks straight towards us. And as the story goes, he's moved by compassion like the Samaritan. And he clothes us like the Samaritan. And he binds up our wounds like the Samaritan. And he pays for us a lifetime to spend with the Father through an unlimited blank check called grace. The story, as great as it is and all that we do with it, ultimately is supposed to move us towards seeing not the good Samaritan, but the great Samaritan the one who came to rescue us, the one who laid down his life on that road to save us. And so we're going to do this meal tonight, this communion meal, which is a meal of remembrance. And so if you've got those emblems now, if you go ahead and get those out, we're going to eat the bread together as a church. And we're going to be, uh, with this bread, it's going to be a reminder that Jesus fell among robbers. And that robber that he fell among was our sin. And our sin stripped him of his clothes, our sin beat him, our sin broke his body. Please eat the bread. And we've got some juice here as well, and it's a reminder that it was our sin that held Jesus on the cross. And while he was there, no one came to rescue him, not even his father, And as his blood poured out, he wasn't left just half dead like the man in the story. He was left completely dead. It was finished. Would you please drink the juice? I want to thank you for being here tonight. I want to thank Dwayne. Give him another round of applause. That was... I love that because I I get to spend a lot of time with Dwayne and we do coffee and we do lunch. We're supposed to go to that barbecue joint on Friday and my schedule just got jacked up. But next week, man, we're going, we're going. So let's do that. Uh, So next week, we're going to start, we're going to continue in the gospel of Luke. We're going to do, though, something a little bit different. I'm going to take us through, it's not the Sermon on the Mount. It's actually called the Sermon on the Plains in the gospel of Luke, but it kind of matches it. And that's where the Beatitudes is, you know, the blessed are the poor and the blessed are those who mourn. And so we're going to do this little series for the next three weeks within a series. We're going to do the pitiful people. We're going to do the difficult people. And we're going to do the beautiful people. So that's coming up for the next three weeks. I hope you can join us for that. Meanwhile, this week, ask good questions. 
Open your eyes to the world around you. See people as your neighbors, not policies. And most of all, extend them the same grace that Jesus Christ gave you. God bless. Love you all. See you next week.